Hey everybody, this is Rooted in Revelation podcast, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation of all life. And with me, a longtime uh, buddy, Dallas is back with us. What's up, Dallas? Hey. So we figured, you know, getting Brant Bosserman back on, we kind of wanted to have a trilogy, get ever, get the crew back together, because Brant was actually one of the first guests of our show, and that one, close to two hours, 45 minutes, I believe. So... <laughs> I don't know if we'll top that. We'll see where it goes, but uh, he's still one of our favorite guests, and it's an honor to have him back on. How are you doing, Brent? I'm doing excellent, guys. So glad to be back. I think this uh, return has been in the works for, I mean, at least a year. So I think that's what we decided. So glad we yeah. can make it happen. Right. So, yeah. So we're going to be talking about all things forgiveness. And yeah, all of us think, yeah, of course we're forgiving. Right. But I guess we'll kind of find out. Right. We'll see how uh, forgiving we really are once we get into what Jesus taught and what the Bible teaches ultimately. So um, before we go on, Brant, maybe for someone that maybe didn't hear that first podcast, um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself for new listeners. Absolutely. You bet. Well, OK, so um, when it comes to you know, things academic. I wrote a book on Cornelius Van Til that got published in, I think, 2014. It was my doctoral thesis that I completed in, uh, in my oral defense uh, in uh, May of 2012. And, um, you know, since then, I think it was June of 2012. Uh, it, was, it wasn't even a month. Uh, my wife and I were involved in gathering a church plant. And so for the last uh, 10 years, it's 22 now, I've, um, been either gathering or pastoring a church plant, uh, Trinitas Presbyterian Church in the Pacific Northwest. We're about, you know, 20 minutes north of Seattle. If there's traffic, then we're in, you know, two hours north of Seattle. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so, I mean, the topic today, though, uh, you know, largely is birthed from a question that um, a couple of ladies at our church who do a podcast had posed to me just, uh, you know, not on the show or anything like that, but just in passing. And it was about whether or not believers have a responsibility to um, forgive those who are unrepentant. And, you know, the funny thing is, like, on the surface of, of the word, you, you would find passages that say yes and no. And, um, you know, in the past, I've just intuitively, I've actually said yes and no to different people, uh, knowing those verses in different circumstances, and just kind of intuitively applied, you know, the right one at the right time. Um, with an awareness kind of a, of what I was doing without putting all the pieces together. And so, I mean, that's what we're talking about today. Um, but as for, you know, who I, who I am, I mean, I try to, you know, keep a foot in the realm of, you know, academic pursuits and, and things like that. And, you know, try to speak at conferences, write articles, things like that. But it's all very slow going when you're pastoring at the same time. So that's who I am. Right. And I would add that you're a phenomenal pastor. I've actually listened to some of your uh, some of your messages, not some, not all the way through. But what I have heard is you are a very persuasive, convincing communicator that this seems to uh, for me personally, it just makes me excited about wanting to know Christ more and and wanting to serve him more. And so I, I do think you're gifted in that area, obviously, and thankful for you in that role, but also in the academic role too. So you got two well, gifts. Flattering and humbling. So <laughs> yeah, humble. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think um, you have some really great stuff. And if people haven't heard Brant's messages, you can check them out. I think you have uh, stuff on YouTube. If you maybe just type in Brant Bosserman, 
Trinitas Church, some of his messages will come up, and so you can always go check them out. And also your book, what's that called again? It's Trin- go ahead. Trinity and the Vindication of Christian Paradox is the yeah. title. Uh, Amazon it. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we're moving to uh, Sermon Audio as a place to host, you know, audio for all of our sermons going back for, you know, almost 10 years now. So that might be the most accessible place to, to get you know, most of what we've got. So great. And um, yeah. So before we hop in, Dallas, did you have anything you uh, wanted to say before we get going on the all things forgiveness? Um, <clears throat> I'm just sad that your picture is like a picture of you right now. And you're talking to me, it's like paused or whatever. I don't know what's going on, but I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited that Brian's here. I'm excited to have another, you know, little convo with Nate and Brent. And I actually know somewhat of my Bible now. Like, reading it. I have been learning it. I've been trying to teach it to my wife. I've been going to church. I've been doing poorly. I would say, all that aside, I've been doing very poorly. I'm a horrible Christian. And thank God for being a merciful and loving God far beyond the mercy and love that I contain in myself because I would have burned myself up with a little asteroid or something by now. I'd have wiped out the world. I'd have been like, you know what? I'm done. Boom. But God is way more merciful than me. He's way more loving than me. And I am happy to be here. You know, I'm happy to another brand. We got another brand on the way. I can see your face. I love Brant's face. The guy is, a, he has a lot of knowledge. Let it roll. I'm ready. I'm just going right. to talk Dallas, a little. I understood you correctly. What you were saying at first is that Nate's picture is unforgivable. Is that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That picture is unforgivable. Where is your live face, Nate? I'm right here. No. Oh, no. But it can come back to the face. My baby's waking up right now. So my wife's trying to get some some stuff and, you know, so giving her a little space by boop popping so but um yeah so let's let's dive right in i guess and my face will be back shortly don't worry about it all right so brand i don't know if you wanted to just kind of in introduce the the all things forgiveness kind of idea and what you have in mind and then we could maybe get into starting with forgiveness objective deeds i don't know whatever best approach you think yeah that's fine man we can just go straight through it Great. Uh, according to the outline. So, yeah, I mean, on the front end, um, quite obviously, uh, the matter of forgiveness is extremely important to our God. Um, the fact that in the Lord's Prayer, you know, this is, you know, the, the simplest outline of a prayer that our Lord could give us. The only thing he asks us to mention about ourselves in our prayers to him is that we forgive. You look at that, that prescribed, um, you know, basic, you know, six petitions in the Lord's prayer. And, you know, you think about this, you think about in your, in your interactions with the Lord, when you pray, um, what kind of things do you mention to the Lord about you? I mean, I think it's fairly natural for some people to think, you know, I don't have any business mentioning me at all. And, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, one can understand why you would say that, but that would actually be more humble than Christ asked you to be. 
He wants you apparently to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. He wants you to mention that. And I, and I can only imagine that's uh, intended to be one of the strongest reminders possible to be a forgiving person. That um, he asks us to mention that in prayer. And if uh, we've neglected that, there's a fairly obvious sense in which praying the Lord's Prayer at all is disingenuous. You can say that by rote. You can say that with a congregation of people. But if you're fundamentally disinclined to forgive and you don't practice that, um, it's a lie to pray it. And so, I mean, I think just on the front end, uh, you know, appreciating something of the weight of the topic. And then, I mean, once we start cracking it open, it becomes a very complicated matter. And I would even ask the two of you guys, you know, as this is a bit of a dialogue, when you think about, you know, what, what, what have you mentioned to the Lord uh, in, in your prayers? Is there something you commonly mentioned? Do you, do you mention nothing at all? Um, what do you bring about yourself to God when you ask him uh, for any of the petitions, whether it be the advance of his kingdom or whether it be provision for yourself? Um, I'm just curious. Me? I'll yeah. go first. Uh, me right now, I've been working on the prayer life thing. You know, I'm like trying to, ah, I want to pray. I want to know who you are, God. Me, mostly right now, my prayer life is thank you over and over and over and over again. Like, because my life is amazing. The family I've been given is amazing. The wife I have been given is amazing. The fact that I have not died from things I've done in the past is amazing. Like, so I, I don't know if this is like a new coming into like actual salvation thing, but like my prayers a lot of the time, as much as I try to diversify and, you know, be like, like my pastor always puts me to shame. He's super good at praying. And I'm always like, Oh, I do this discipling thing with him where I go meet with him on Tuesdays and we always pray after. And I go first because I don't want to compare my prayer to his because he's super good at it. But like, basically my prayer life now is a lot of thank yous. I, I don't have much more. I'll, the little things will come up like, Hey, help me with this. I know I'm supposed to ask you to help me with stuff because you want to, but Mostly it's thank you at this point, because like my life is a blessing. Everything is a blessing. Like this yeah. podcast is a blessing. Seeing your face again, Brant, Brant man, that's a, part, that's a blessing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, inherent in that is um, even if these words aren't used, is, is uh, letting the Lord know that you, he's made you glad. Um, and that's obviously a perfectly appropriate thing to pray. I mean, we would find things like that in the Psalms um, that the Lord, you know, has anointed us with the oil of gladness. And, you know, it, we, we have that, that picture, no question about it. And good on you, Dallas, for that. Um, and yet, and of course, we still yet have this command, you know, pray like this and bring your, your forgiving disposition to bear. I mean, I'll offer a contrast, you know, as a minister, you know, one of my jobs is to pray for my congregation, to pray for people by name on a regular basis. And, you know, when you've got a big old list of names like that, um, prayer can be almost strictly a matter of um, supplication on behalf of others, knowing their needs, practically, spiritually, you name it. 
And so, you know, if there's a ditch that I can fall into, it'll be something like that. Um, if there's something that I mentioned about us, since I'm involved in, you know, corporate prayer, you know, the sort of thing I might mention is, um, you know, Lord, we have so many servants who have just poured out their abilities and their gifts. Please bless us with, you know, facilities or bless us with, you know, these tools to, to keep doing what we're doing. Um, but I've even been convicted on a corporate level. I've, obviously, Lord's prayers is a, a corporate thing. It begins, you know, our father. And um, even asking myself as a minister, Lord, am I praying to the Lord, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors because we are a manifestly forgiving people. Um, so it's, it's a challenge to me there. What about you, Nate? And the question was, what, what, where do we find our prayer life, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's like, what do you mention about yourself in prayer? Mm. You know, it's, we have an invitation to mention this aspect of being forgiving. What do, you, what do you tell the Lord about yourself? And I honestly think for a lot of Christians, the answer is maybe we don't say anything about ourselves because uh, we know, you know, it's not like we have an inherent, you know, uh, right to anything that is the Lord's. And yet this is something he's asked us for. So I'm yeah, just saying this, like, maybe I missed the question when I answered <laughs> it's good though it's still good though thank you for uh, all right no i was just making sure i mean yeah i think i um yeah i rarely i always feel like i pray about myself a lot because i'm always super aware of my potential motives and um my own struggles you know and desiring to pray truly from my heart because a lot of times i just I feel like I, I I babble, you know, I just say all the right things, but then I'm like, yeah, do I really do I, mean any of this? I um, right. So, so when I, I do pray a lot about that, but a lot of times I can get so self-focused where I'm not really thinking like outward about mm -hmm. like the people around me, you know, or like you're talking about like forgiveness, for example, in prayer, like God calls us to pray about that. Like, and I'm like, do I do that? No, not really. But it's like a fundamental thing, right? Like it's, it's amazing how the most sim simple things about Christian doctrine can somehow not be present, right? Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, and obviously by, you know, talking about this and even just in the course of my own, you know, searching out this topic, um, that's one of the things that struck me. I, I don't, I, for the decades that I've been a believer, I don't know that it has, you know, quite struck me as it has in the last several months as I've been, been doing this study. But with that said, I mean, I suppose we can jump into, um, you know, the, the topic and begin talking about its nature. Mm -hmm. And I just think at the at the front end, most people when we're talking about this this topic of forgiveness, this is it's going to be a little bit weird. So I'm going to go back and forth like a, a pinball a little bit between. Forgiveness being a subjective thing and an objective thing. And I counterintuitive things to say about both. I think on the front end, most people think of forgiveness as being a matter of the heart, of, you know, preeminently, and maybe to the exclusion of it being marked by objective deeds. And that, so that's the first thing I want to talk about. Um, you know, when you talk about this, even this word forgiveness, um, you know, as it is in the New Testament, uh, the, the Greek word that is most prominently translated to forgive means to leave something behind. The Hebrew terms 
uh, mean to cover something up. And there's something tangible about both of those references. Leaving something behind and covering something up are things that you do with other material, tangible things. And you know, when we talk about forgiveness, therefore, there's an objective aspect to that that is extremely important and it comes out in the Bible all over the place. In the Old Testament, if a person uh, confessed a crime, a civil crime, um, before they were caught, it would transmute the penalty. It would alter the penalty. Um, for example, if you stole livestock, you might have to make four or five-fold restitution, which is quite a return, you know, as a penalty, not just returning the original, you know, a property, but four or five times as much. Um, by contrast, when you confessed your sin, and, you know, then uh, offered a uh, reparation offering or a guilt offering, um, you'd only have to return the stolen item plus one-fifth of its value. That is material, objective forgiveness. And, you know, as Christians, I think we have to have an appreciation for this. We're not just excited that the Lord has, uh, you know, a, a good disposition to us, the Father, on account of Christ. We're also really glad that... He, we don't have an eternal punishment to pay. Um, that's an objective alteration of things. And so I want to throw this out there from the beginning. I, you know, I think if you think of yourself as a, for, a forgiving person, but you're fundamentally disinclined to actually forgive ever, maybe, monetary debts, to, to forgive, you know, something that has been, been lost or destroyed or ruined by someone's negligence. Um, it is a really good a, a test as to whether or not you have a particularly forgiving disposition or not. And so that's, that's the first observation I think that's, you know, it's at least worth meditating on for a moment. You know, I, I don't know if, if you guys find yourself, um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, Dallas, you know, you're like, wow, you know, I'm not sure if I'm that forgiving. You know, on the the objective side of it, uh, you know, what about you guys? Do you feel disinclined to ever um, actually tangibly forgive? <laughs> I'll go, Nate. Yeah, I'll go. I see. I'm actually, I feel like I'm pretty good at forgiving. Like, and usually the things that I've thought that I was pretty good at when I became a Christian, I realized it was all self-absorbent. It was all for me, you know, like, but I'm actually excited for this podcast because I was like, I want to know how my forgiveness is not right because like, I'm pretty good at forgiving people. I mean, I've had a lot of friends do a lot of things to me in the past that I'm like, this doesn't like, I've never had a problem with realizing like, this doesn't matter. Like mm -hmm. I've had a problem with realizing like, Hey, life does still matter. You know, mm -hmm. this, what you're doing right now, you need to still take time for this. Like just cause you're going to die and like heaven is a thing and you can go there afterwards. doesn't mean that this doesn't matter, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've had a harder time with, getting my head wrapped around like staying involved honestly staying mm -hmm. involved like any kind of life thing because it's like i had a lot of things with well, what what does this matter to me what is but forgiveness wise i'm trying to figure out tonight how i'm doing
<laughs> I'm happy to figure out how I'm doing wrong because like that's been my Christian walk so far is like, yeah, you do have these God given blessed attributes about you. Like, and I've learned that everything comes from God at this point, everything good, you know? So the, I'm actually able to live a Christian lifestyle in a way I'm very thankful for now. Like forgiveness has not been a hard thing for me. Like people can do me wrong, whatever. And I'm like, Hey, it doesn't matter. You know, like God forgave me and I'm horrible. So mm-hmm. I'll forgive mm-hmm. you. you know, what was that? 25 bucks. What was that? $150. What was eight grand? You know, like, but I also am waiting to see how my mindset is like, uh, self-absorbed because usually that's about what i find i'm like yeah gave that person but it was for my own gain so that these three people over here thought that i was a good person because mm-hmm. i want everyone to like me yeah and you know and that's when the pendulum swings back and, and we go to the other side of subjective forgiveness that you know that's one of the observations that you know when you're forgiving you know in objective deeds um w- one of the dangerous things uh is is that you can, you can obviously fake that and you can get all of the credit for that and not really at root be a forgiving person. But as for that concept, uh, you know, of, of finding it easier to forgive, um, here's, here's where I would submit that, um, that that begins to get challenged. The more uncomfortable you are and the more you have to lose uh, in the way of, of comfort, um, the harder it is to be objectively forgiving. So Bosserman family, we like to hike. There's six of us, me and my wife, our four kids, two 13-year-old daughters, one's adopted, and uh, two boys, one's 10, one's seven. I just love the number four kids. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm so biased. Good. That was my family. We had four kids in the family. It seems like a perfect yeah. number. Heck yeah, man, absolutely. But when we hit the trail, you know, I... I I tend to think of myself as being, you know, more easygoing. And I think as a rule, my family would say that when we hit the trail, we start to sweat, you know, we're committed to going as a group, the bugs come out, my capacity to be, um, to not be short with people, to be understanding and to be objectively forgiving, pulling punches and, um, all of the above it just it diminishes maybe with every step on the hike as I get you know more tired and again more burdened and what's amazing about the gestures of forgiveness that Jesus it's really impossible that he sets before us in the Sermon on the Mount are gestures of forgiveness when people are in their greatest distresses Uh, we're talking about when he says things like if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt that's really an absurd portrait I mean you can imagine someone being in, in court, you know, demanding the shirt off your back. Like nowadays, you know, I would like to for anything I can get from you. It's true. Well, it's true. A little thing that can get my life ahead of yours, I'm going to sue you and take you from. Increasingly, that's a, it's a good point. We're increasingly in, in this absurd place. But if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. That is a radical gesture of forgiveness. And, you know, we'll talk more about, you know, what Jesus means to accomplish by this, um, you know, I think, you know, by the end here. But, but the idea is there's a recognition that um, forgiving from a place of distress and from a place of discomfort 
is extremely difficult. It's much easier when you're in a place where you know things are otherwise well. Um, uh, it's much more difficult when you're in the midst of a trial. You're in the midst of you know breaking down and all of that. And um, yet that's what we're called to. I mean, Christ didn't die for our sins as the exemplar of you know, divine forgiveness. Um, when things were all good and well, it was amidst a passion where many people you know, stood to lose when you lose in, in stress and pressure and all of those things. And it was in that time that he forgave us. I always have a hard time now because I had like this epiphany driving home the other day because my dad is amazing. I have a wonderful family. My parents are both wonderful Christians who have raised me the best way they can. And I was thinking about driving home just how much my dad loves me. Like the guy is amazing. I would tickle him and hug him and give him whatever I could. I would do anything for my father. But like I broke down. I was crying on the way home because I was like, my dad loves me that much and my heavenly father loves me more than that and my heavenly father sent his son to be tortured by people who did not care about him who blatantly blasphemed his name all over the place that dad watched his son be crucified for rando people me included i'm like i'm having a hard time always with the whole Christianity thing, I'm just like, God, why are you so good? Why, why do you care about me? You know, like forgiveness or not, I don't know if I would have sent my son to die for the world. You know, looking at the world right now, it's like, I don't think. And if, if that dad loves his son infinitely more than my dad loves me, then how hard was that? Like, it blows my mind. He gave his son to be forgiving to people like us in exactly the sort of scenario when we would all find it impossible to be forgiven. In the scenario where we would all give ourselves a pass for not being forgiving at all. It's a remarkable thing. Um, that, that, that's what our, our, our Lord did. I mean, and even then we don't fully appreciate it. And so far as we obviously don't understand the infinite wrath of God that was born by Christ in the midst of that. But and like read about giving your son to be crucified on a cross is a lot different than leave, living it out. Like mm -hmm. the more I read my Bible, the more it feels like a movie that's becoming my life almost in a way. Like I read it and then I'm starting to picture it in my brain. Like now, after being through it a couple of times, it's becoming like, no, listen to this. This is real. This happened. These are people. And like, so it's playing. And when I see that, I'm like, being the God of everything. I mean, yes, you're more merciful than us. You're infinitely just, you know, your holiness is three times repeated multiple times in the Bible. So you are holy. But like, and you send your son to die for us. That is forgiven that's the that's forgiveness right there here i have this for you like i've had a hard time grasping that like and perhaps this is a in an ideal place to segue to the concept of subjective forgiveness because well okay so let's do it like this 
off the top of your head, someone backs into your car, they do damage to it, it's gonna cost thousands. What's the easier thing to do for you? To forgive them from the heart or to forgive the monetary debt? That is to expel from yourself feelings of disdain for that person or to forgive the monetary debt? Which is the, which is the harder, which is the easier? Mir, you, Nate, Omega? Uh, I would say probably forgiving them from the heart yeah. would be harder in my my take on it but it's good i mean it's just let's we, we just keep upping the dollar amount yeah. <laughs> which would be harder you know uh you know here's why i ask there is something about when you look at maybe even a big forgive like a big debt you know i i'm thinking about anything from uh i worked in restaurants there was a time when um I had big plans for the 4th of July. You guys don't know how much I love the 4th of July. I love to blow off fireworks. Okay. I mean, I actually work as a pyrotechnician. I remember your email. I remember. Yes. Yeah, I yes. remember. yeah. So, you know, I've been working on my pyrotechnician license, you know, put on shows, stuff like that. There's this one time where it was, they decided I had to close the restaurant on 4th of July. I was fully intending to get out of there before nine o'clock. And now I'm there till closing and my 4th of July is shot. And someone decided to do that because they, they could. And I wasn't on the schedule to do that. You name it. Um, you know, the thing is, these, these moments of forgiveness where you go, okay, in the moment, I'm going to work this shift, forget it. You know, and you've kind of turned it around. Um, you've just accepted the situation. The thing about it is, is that an objective act of forgiveness can be done and then it's finished. And um, it doesn't do this thing that subjective forgiveness does, where in the course of time, it keeps coming back to you that someone stole from you, that you were wronged, that someone did you wrong. I bet you both got people right now who in your darker moments come back to mind that you're I like, text from someone actually it popped up on my phone while i'm doing this I got a text from someone that would fit right in class see there you go and so you know when you think about spending you know a big monetary debt might look you know terrifying on the front end to forgive and i can understand that we'll talk about the nuances when it comes to forgiving things like that but man forgiving someone who's wronged you and particularly in a bad way if you are committed to forgiving that person that is something that is going to cost you mental energy, effort, and resolve, maybe for the rest of your life. And that's the curious thing, that it is the more, you could say, subjective forgiveness might always, in the end, be the more costly thing, the more difficult thing. Um, Frankly, if you've got a lot of resources, uh, forgiving objective debts is, is not necessarily that hard at all. It just doesn't matter that much. I feel like I've been blessed that at least I'm not I'm not a rich person, but like I've never wanted I can go to the grocery store and buy anything I want. You yeah. know, so I yeah. am I'm a rich person. Like if I have no worries in that way, like then mm -hmm. I'm all right. Yeah, so money honestly doesn't matter to me. And I've had a lot of friends that have gone in that way of like, oh, I'm going to borrow this from you. That doesn't matter to me. And 
that's why I'm trying to figure out where in the forgiveness realm I'm shortcoming because mm-hmm. I'm like friends that have written me off money wise. I don't care. Money has never been a big thing to me because I know mm-hmm. it doesn't like, but the part that hurts, I would say more is the friendship that is usually lost because like, yeah, you're forgiving them, but they keep coming at you with the same thing. Like the friend that I'm specific, specifically thinking of, it's like, do I try to explain it to you a million times, but you're just coming at me with all this stuff and I don't know. Yeah. I forgive you for all that, but you just keep coming back with more stuff. That's like, I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what to do. Yes. Yeah. See, and that's where the person themselves is, is almost creating by their repetition, the sorts of scenarios that I was talking about earlier, where it's harder to forgive from a place of burden. And when a person keeps heaping the same burden on you after, you know, gestures of forgiveness have been extended to them, you're actually kind of reproducing that scenario more that Jesus is describing where it's like, man, the very shirt off your back, like they're trying to take it all. And that's where the, the person becomes the trial that we're talking about. But, you know, the, re- the reason I talked about a transition is this. What's remarkable about the Lord is that um, by one sacrifice, um, you know, God has forgiven forever. Uh, so he, he has an objective need. Yeah, right? That's <laughs> like all of us might, you know, you talk about destroying the earth with the comet. It's like, yeah, you know, you need I'm the earth with one person one god person came and boom the dead was gone that's 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 right and that's the frightening thing about us our practice of forgiveness would be that of like in the moment we're, we're all capable maybe of, of of feeling forgiveness and making a show of it and getting all the credit from everyone around us but it'd be like if the lord sent his son to die got all the credit <laughs> looked at the world in 2022 it's like nah i'm, I'm just gonna i'm still gonna nope. destroy if I was God, I would have looked at the world in 2020 and been like, yeah, yeah I'm blowing you up. I'm blowing you up. I'm sorry. Uh, I sent my son for them people back then. The people now. Uh. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say just like, you know, about this subjective disposition. Like as you're talking about, it, I realize, oh, you know, I actually struggle with that quite a bit because it, I find it easy to forgive you know, things done to me, like kind of like Dallas is saying, where it's like, oh, someone takes something from me or steals, or if I get in an argument, I know he's quick to want to like reconcile with somebody and create peace again. But the one thing that always still lingers is that's like that subjective element where I'm still in my heart, like as soon as I, as soon as I see like one of those old behaviors come up with a friend, or as soon as I see a moment where, um, something reminds me or something like something that's happened to me in the past where it's been offensive or I've been wronged. Like there's this, this bitterness that wells up in me, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and see, that's, that's what we mean. I think when we talk about, you know, subjective forgiveness being that which tolls you the more or costs you mm-hmm. the more, um, as something that, again, you might have with you for the rest of your life. And obviously, when we're talking, and I think pastorally about people who have been really terribly abused, that is an extremely difficult thing that you might take with yourself for the rest of your life as you walk this earth, where if your mind goes there, you are, you know, you're already in a battle 
to not, you know, spiral down into just a place of um, a place you can't get out of, of, of rage and anger as it returns. And so I think that the point is being made, uh, you know, it's one of the points made in the article that subjective forgiveness is really a profoundly difficult thing, even if it should cost you nothing. And frankly, we're going to see there are times when when you shouldn't, you know, extend an objective remission of debts or, uh, you know, forego a penalty for a variety of reasons. Um, but we're always called to this act of subjective forgiveness. And you know where I would go with this, um, you know, when Calvin is kind of dealing with the question of, of whether we are obliged to forgive, you know, those who are unrepentant, um, talks about there being, you know, a sort of general forgiveness, a general outward kindness we have to extend to everyone. And it's, you know, surely objective deeds, but it's manifest in your demeanor and you name it. Um, one of the areas where, you know, I, I labor to go beyond Calvin's point just a little bit is in saying that in order to subjectively forgive a person, it's, it's almost like extending them a sort of um, a credit to their image. And here's what I mean. When someone's done something that, um, again, is a matter of great offense, or like you mentioned, Nate, um, they keep doing it. Um, and maybe they do it even from a place of being an unbeliever Part of forgiving a person is taking that image which has been tarnished and destroyed and chipped away at by their own doing, and you might say justly, and envisaging something better. Um, that's to say, even if they're an unbeliever, the mere prospect that by God's grace, which is, of course, incomprehensible, all-powerful, capable of accomplishing the impossible, envisaging and being willing to entertain the hope that they might actually be that redeemed version of themselves by God's grace. If you don't do that and you just make an effort to expel bad feelings or you just make an effort to not be mean or to think about something else, it's especially going to be hard when you encounter them face to face. It's going to be especially hard when they make the same mistakes again to actually maintain that kind of disposition toward them that you would like. And so that is where it's like, you know, you talk, you know, Jesus talks about the guy trying to take something from you and you literally crediting more to them than their aggressive actions deserve. And what I'm saying is that there's a subjective equivalent to that. Someone who is objectively problematic and actually extending them a credit rebuilding their image in your mind, or at least a hopeful image of what they might be. Um, those are, you know, probably the sorts of exercises that if you're really struggling to forgive someone, you've got to seriously consider uh, how you're going to do that. I always ask people, you know, in the course of counseling, if there's a major conflict, um, describe for me that person at their best. W what does that person look like at their best that, um, you know, if you're, you know, we're talking about spouses or we're talking about conflict between adults that you feel like they're depriving you of. Um, but without that sort of an exercise, um, it's extremely hard, I think, to, to with, any, uh, with any honesty, say that you're forgiving someone from the heart.
I'm looking at Nate like, what do you got to say, bud? You want to say that? Oh, go ahead. I was muted anyway. All right. So I'm starting to, I'm hearing some more things out of my head about, uh, like, let, Lord, tell me how I am wrong. Tell me what's going on with my brand strong. Mm-hmm. All right. I have this friend. He's been my friend forever. And I'm struggling with it right now because it is just whatever this person can find to confront a about biblical truth he's bringing to me but um, i mean there's nothing you can fight biblical truth it's true so you can argue about all you want but until you bring me facts until you bring me something that is actually true against the most ancient historical accurate book that we have you know we keep finding out things. Oh, the archaeologists are going to prove that the Bible is wrong. Wait, no, they keep proving it's right. Oh, the Hittites. Oh, the Hittites. Oh, I guess they are people. You know, like, he's just bringing this stuff up. And, like, I guess maybe this is my forgiveness thing right now. It's going on in my life. Like, I have a friend that I've been struggling with for so long. And right now, I almost can't even talk to him. Because the things he wants to bring up, he doesn't want to hear Christianity from me. You know, he doesn't want to hear any of this. He wants to, if I talk to him about Christianity, he's, well, why is the book of Enoch not in there? Why is this not in there? Why he actually texted me tonight. There's 93 books that have been removed from the Bible that, uh, that how I've never heard that one before. I've never heard that either, but like, I'm just saying people will find what they want to find, you know, to argue with you. And it's like, my job is not arguing. I don't want to argue with you. You know, if you have all these false claims, I don't want to unvalidate your false claims. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here to fight your false claims. I'm just here to tell you why I'm joyful. Why my life seems a little bit brighter than yours, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. but he's not hearing any of that. Mm -hmm. And that it's funny huh we're here talking about this but yeah i'm constantly actually right now a little frustrated with that and i guess that would be a forgiveness thing like i don't know how to deal with i've read some things in the bible they're like you know certain situations when they went in they were the apostles went out and they were talking to people and they're like if they don't accept you in this town you know brush your dirt off your brush dirt off your sandals and get out of here Yep. When is, that a, when is that a relevant thing? Like, is that a thing with your friends where it gets to a point where it's like, yeah, forgiveness, you forgive them. But if forgiveness, you can't forgive them forever and keep being associated with them if they don't want to have anything to do with Christ. Like, right. right. What you're getting at is that forgiveness is not antithetical to consequences. You know, um, th- this is a, a major portion of, of uh, you know, this reflection of mine on, on forgiveness. And, and, you know, this is as good a time as any to jump right into it. Um, you know, to have a forgiving disposition surely is to hope the better for a person. And I would say even with this individual you're talking about, it's like, sounds like they're at least a bit tenacious. And you go, man, um, how awesome it would be to, to transform that into, you know, a disposition for Christ and for the kingdom. Well, he was the person I used to want to be, you know, like really growing up, this was the kid I wanted to be like, 
He was not scared of people. He didn't care about this. He was just who he was. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was great. But now mm-hmm. it's like certain life things have made him the shell of that. And it's like, I don't, I don't know what to do at this point. Right, right. Yeah. And, and so you, I even like the phrase, uh, you know, he's, he's who he is. And man, you think about, man, if you could translate that into uh, the Christian version of him, it's, it, he's unashamed of the gospel and he's not, he's not worried yeah, about doing great. <laughs> right. So you say, well, what do you do? You know, here's the thing. If forgiveness means fundamentally wishing and, and hoping and even extending the best to a person in spite of what they deserve, we actually have to see these gestures of imprecation and even curse, you know, dusting your feet off and, and moving on. Um, this is a really hard one because it's a little bit upside down for people. But um, even those sorts of gestures are marked by a sort of kindness that the world doesn't appreciate. And I think for us as Christians, being ourselves a little bit worldly very often, we often don't appreciate. But here's the thing. When you say I'm going to dust my feet off and I'm going to leave, as opposed to what, you know, continue witnessing to this town uh, so that you guys crucify me, um, you're actually, you're actually doing them a favor so that they don't continue to sin the worst or sin the more against you. Um, This is actually good for them. This is, you know, why when Jesus says things like, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine, this is specifically, they're going to, you know, be aggressors to you. What is that? It's not just a matter of your own self-defense, which is surely important, but it's also you depriving them of the ability to sin worse. And so when you hit a point or when you come to a place where, you know, some, someone's obstinacy has um, really even put them beyond the pale of correction because they're the fool who's going to rather than, you know, love you for a rebuke, um, going to attack you for a rebuke might seem odd, but your withdrawal is actually a grace to them. And, you know, you, you, this goes right back to the very beginning. God, you know, leaving, well, expelling man from the garden first, and then after the flood, taking the garden away, taking his embassy on this earth away. Um, that was a good thing, because if the Lord would have been near, uh, there would have been dangerous judgment uh, immediately. And so, so those sorts of gestures are not, now don't get me wrong, you and I can make the mistake of engaging in that gesture thinking, you know, I'm just going to kick the dust off my feet and what I'm fundamentally and only doing is, is hating you and I've already, that's not something we're allowed to do in this life, you and I, you know, the secret things belong to God, we don't know what's going to happen to the inhabitants of those cities who rejected, you know, the message of the disciples, perhaps in a decade, some of them you know, uh, came to saving faith. So we can't leave yet with this certainty that they are uh, the ideal wicked individual who we're quite confident on the last day will be, you know, separated from us and from the Lord eternally. We actually have to understand that gesture of putting ourselves at arm's length. And even as Paul says, you know, handing them over to Satan in the case of excommunication. Why does Paul say that? you know, hand him over to Satan so that we can hate him and despise him from our hearts and, you know, uh, flip him off anytime that we see him. No, it's, it's, it's so that hopefully, hopefully he will be taught not to blaspheme in the case of Hymenaeus and Alexander or in the case of the Corinthian 
in 1 Corinthians 5, um, that the destruction of his flesh would compel him to race to the Lord who can save it. So even in those gestures, I think there's a matter of heart that you've got to get, you've got to get a handle of because you can engage those gestures wrongly. You can excommunicate wrongly. You can cut a friend off wrongly, um, where it's really fundamentally marked by animosity and not marked by a hope for the better for the person who's receiving those consequences. Yeah, that's really helpful. I've, I've often thought about that because sometimes it's actually easier to do the thing that's like biblical because your heart's really not actually you're like oh yeah don't have anything to do with unbelievers or people that profess faith but live what's paul say people that profess faith but they don't want to work like have nothing to do with them and you're like oh well this person has professed faith at one point so oh great opportunity to get out of this relationship uh you know they don't want to do anything they're lazy blah 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 and um but like you do it from this heart motive that you're actually kind of excited to get away from them versus really actually loving and caring about their soul. You know, you should be grieved at that, not excited. That's right. That's right. And see, see, and this is the scary thing about forgiveness. You can engage in forgiving deeds that are objective, not really be forgiving from the heart. And you can engage in, in deeds of tough love that, that can, you know, really ideally be forgiving. But in the way that you're dishing it out, that's actually not the disposition of your heart at all. And so it just, it, it can betray you. And that's, that's what makes this such a subtle thing. And, you know, so you take even in, in Matthew 18, when you have, um, you know, the whole parable about, um, you know, the Lord who forgives the debt of his debtors. And, you know, it reflects a, a not uncommon scenario in the first century that, um, you know, uh, slaves can have slaves. You can have, you know, multi-layered situation, a master with a slave who in turn has another slave. And um, the picture of not forgiving from the heart is one of not, not really loving forgiveness for what it is. The one intermediary slave is forgiven his debt by his master, but then turns around and demands, you know, the collection of a debt from his slave. And, you know, of course, you know, anyone reading can see the hypocrisy of it, and um, it, it, it's so obvious. But the conclusion is, my heavenly father will also do the same to you. Of course, that unforgiving slave is punished. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And you take the picture there. It's a man who's, who's been forgiven, but does not really love forgiveness. He, he, he loves the benefit that that accrues to him as the forgiven party just like someone who likes to you know have ostentatious displays of kindness likes maybe the cred that they get for having performed that none of those things are actually loving forgiveness none of those things are actually forgiving from the heart as a person who understands that needs to be a characteristic quality of myself and so so yeah, that's what's insidious about the entire thing. You, and on the one hand, you go, who doesn't like love forgiveness, want debts forgiven, want faults overlooked? Um, but to the degree that we're un, you know reluctant to do the same from positions of pressure, I mean, it's not hard to envisage why a slave whose debt was forgiven might think, man, I'm going to collect on my slave's debt, and I'm going to be I'm going to be scot free, and I'm going to have some money. 
I mean, it's not hard to see. Yeah. Missed you, Dallas. What did you say? Oh, well, I said I'm going to move up in the world as a slave. You know, oh, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. Here I come. Now, That's right. now I'm a person of stature, you know, like. That's right. You know, on that, that note, though, I just I want to mention a few things. I mean, there's just wisdom, obviously, in, you know, being a forgiving person. Um, you know, the, the, the Proverbs are chock full of examples uh, of this sort of a thing. I mean, we're told, for example, to um, overlook a transgression. Um, to overlook a transgression quite obviously means to not collect on a transgression, to not try to, you know, if it's a it's social slight, to get them back. If it's, you know, having been shamed, to return shame. You know, one rationale you could muster for these sorts of, of calls to being a forgiving person is that... Um, if you're not trained in overlooking a debt or uh, overlooking a, a transgression, you're just going to die an early death. Because how many times a day do you get sinned against that it's just practically impossible to prosecute such things? Um, this is an important observation. The world literally couldn't exist unless everybody grew practice it. it it, 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 you might say seconding something of what God's doing all of the time. And, you know, of course, you know, to exist in a society with the civil government, much less layers of civil government, to exist in a society where exploitation is absolutely going to happen on an economic level. It's almost like, man, you, you better learn to forgive and not just to, you know, apathetically take it before you, you know, boil over and lose your mind. Um, it, it's almost like a, a code or a dance that you 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 have to learn to dance, uh, or, or you're just you're going to you're going to self destruct. Give Go us some. Nah, you got it. You got this one. <laughs> I was just gonna I, say. And I feel like, come on, yeah, I got Yeah. Some. Well, it's crazy because you think like you know, you, like you're talking about earlier, like we all want our, we want to be forgiven. We want our faults to be overlooked, but man, as soon as someone does something against us, I mean, it can, when I first got saved, I remember I was so self-righteous. Like I, I was like, man, God cleaned me up. He got me all right. And all you guys still aren't trying. Cause you know, when I got saved, I went through this program called teen challenge, which is like this discipleship program. For like 14 months and i was with a lot of people that either probation sent them there or whatever the case and they weren't ready to get right but i was and they were like a hindrance to me and it was extremely stressful because i thought i was better than all these guys because <laughs> yeah. i was like i actually want to be a christian all these people don't and um but like it's exhausting when you can't forgive people or you genuinely think beyond forgiven but like you guys yeah nah no way though when it gets into like the like i've been struggling with that well not struggling recently but for a long time the whole elect you know like because you're like oh yeah well i'm hearing this and they're not and i'm like well they don't have ears to hear you know mm -hmm. I, have, I have eyes to see so like man this feels wrong for me already like these people like what do I have to give my eyes to see? I know everything comes from God, you know? It's like, 
Mm-hmm. And that can take a lot of the stress off. I was actually talking to my pastor. He's feeling a little discouraged. And I was like, look, God changes people's hearts. I was like, you taught me this, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like, don't be discouraged about, like, these people aren't doing what you said. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's going to listen to you. You're a pastor, dude. You're, like, the second most hated other than a cop. Like, <laughs> I mean, nowadays, it's like cops and pastors. Like, people aren't going to like you. I was like, but but that's God's business, you know? Saving people is God's business. Changing people's heart, that's God's business. That's not yours. You come out here and you keep teaching what you're teaching, and you you teach the Bible, and you don't you don't break bonds anywhere. You keep it the Bible. And I mean, my pastor is a blessing to me. Brant, I'd love to come to your church. Throw a shout out there on the podcast. <laughs> Nate said we can go together. Sometime. Yeah, one day, one day. Yeah, make a pilgrimage, guys. Um, yeah. But but you know what? That was all great stuff you said. To your pastor, though. I mean, it, it is so true. Uh, t- I never quite thought of it in terms of the totem pole you created with cop up here as uh, you know uh, Thunderbird, and I, I guess pastor right underneath as you know the, the next most hated on that um, on that pole. But 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 there's it's a jarring experience when you realize that uh, what you say it doesn't automatically change people just and it's i think if it's jarring for a pastor it's maybe even more jarring for congregants who don't realize that you know like someone's bugging them or that you they don't like how they're you know raising their kids or disciplining or you name it and it's like i can tell i think you brought oh somebody don't like how they raise their kids oh Oh, he's a he's a pastor classic yeah loudon church it's like pastor tell them to stop it's like what makes you think I haven't? What, I mean, yeah. what makes you think I haven't already done that? You know, I mean, and, and, and that's a curious thing too. You know, when you, when you think about, you know, carrying on in, in a forgiving capacity, I think about, you know, another reason we have to be forgiving for, is that, you know, sometimes to get to the heart of a matter or the, the more problematic aspect of something, you have to forego several offenses along the way. Um, you know, as we think about things pastorally, it's like, yeah, you know, if I'm talking to uh, someone who's suicidal, or if I'm talking to, I'm going to have to like, cut through a morass of maybe terrible things they're saying about other people, or, you know, curses that are coming out of their mouth, or you name it, to get to the heart of something, such that, you know, if, if I'm not just kind of letting all those other things just go by me, um, you know, I think we all know you're not going to take the person who in the midst of being suicidal first try to, you know, clean up their potty mouth and then get to this matter. You just, it, it can't work that way procedurally. And, you know, I think when we, we think about the Lord Jesus, you know, spending time as he's uh, reported to have done throughout the gospels with people who are um, engaged in, in sinful behaviors. And I think, yeah, no, that's not a people that aren't sick doctors yeah, don't but aren't sick that's right and you know and here's the thing i think what's confusing for people sometimes is it doesn't it's also not a recipe for like a healthy church like a healthy church isn't going to be a place where you know three-fourths of the congregants are currently practicing prostitutes and you know uh, the worst exploiters you know of of their fellow man and you know <laughs> that's but if you're gonna go out and share the gospel with people then yeah absolutely that ratios you know three-fourths of the people that you're with might be that compromised um 
And, you know, again, to overlook a transgression, especially as a direct victim, is um, that, that, that's something we have to expect to do. Um, again, without disregarding the reality that consequences need to be taken seriously, which is our next point, it's not loving to someone or forgiving to someone who's engaging in particular sides, sorts of crimes and sins that will incur for them the most negative civil consequences, the most negative social consequences. It isn't loving. Spiritual, as consequences. spiritual consequences, all of it, absolutely. It, it's not loving for them to, you know, to be the, the direct victim of their crime and then just write off what they've done um, and, and to call that forgiveness. Forgiveness means actually loving a person from the heart rather than hating them. And me allowing you to continue, you know, destroying yourself with fentanyl is, you know, as you know, because you stole my money to go and buy it. I would say that's, that's love enough, right? What you're saying is loving them enough to tell them that it's not loving to keep doing what they're doing. That's Why? right. That's right. And so what that might mean, you know, in that kind of an instance, if they stole your car is, you know, in a particular instance, uh, yeah, pursuing the civil penalty for that. Uh, out of genuine concern that if you don't, it's not going to stop. In fact, it's only going to get worse. Um, that is a very real forgiving disposition to say, I'm going to seek consequences for this crime now because stealing my car is nothing compared to robbing a bank. And um, it, for, for me to, to, to do my best to keep you from experiencing the worst of penalties, um, what I have to do is pursue this line with this penalty. And I would even put that in the case of capital crimes. You know, when someone yep. murders, okay. say that again? That would be the hardest for me. You know, like I am oh. a person that I learn slow. Mm -hmm. I've always learned, well, you give me something I can do with my hands, tools, I'll use that. I learn quick. But in ways of consequences, how life works, how God designed this world to work, I'm very slow in that. Mm -hmm. So, like, it would be hard for me to rationalize putting another consequence on someone else, you know, because I have a lot of friends who have had problems with the law. Mm -hmm. And it's like, would I call the law to be another problem for them? Like, Right. And I'm getting how you're saying it, be like, because that can be the most loving thing. Like, maybe that mm -hmm. is the thing that will turn them. I've had friends that have been helped by jail, and I've had friends that have been hurt by jail. You know, it's like, so a lot of that, I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit that helps you figure out some things in between. I've been trying to figure that out for myself, but like, because where do you go with that? You know, you're like, look, I want to help my friend out. I really do. But like, they've been turned in to the authorities three times. Right. And that has only made it worse. Like the mm -hmm. fact they've gone to jail has only made it worse. So I'm going to try to like, I'm going to try to be their friend and keep doing it. But like, what? I mean, it's, it's yeah. prayer. I mean, you know, that's Absolutely. all. I, the thing I've come down to is like, it's prayer. Right. That's all I can do. Cause God yeah. changes people's hearts. God is, God is who does that. Like, so. Right. Well, and you know, I think, it, it, you know, it's prayer. And it's prayer for eyes to see, you know, there are objective factors. You, you think about disciplining your kids. It's a little bit easier because 
you don't have the messy thing of like you know state prisons and you know state yeah. jails and just the 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 nasty culture in which you know it, 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 but we we all get the basic principle that the the least um in a way the least forgiving thing that you could do for your children is never discipline them and that would be kind of not extending the objective penalty, whether corporal or, you know, uh, a chore or whatever it might be, might win you in the moment the, honestly, really shallow appreciation of your kids. Yeah. You got the friend. Word. Hey, great job. You're a kid's friend. That's right. That's right. But but what we know is it's like it's about the cheapest sort of forgiveness that you could extend to, to your child. I mean, at the end of the day, loving them from the heart and, uh, you know, desiring from for them better than their offenses, you know, might agitate you to, you know, feel like they deserve really means extending them in a principled way of penalty. And, and there's no doubt about it. When you look at a world where um, penalties seem so unprincipled, you know, well, uh, my truth is my truth. What are you to say about that? You know, like when my truth is my own, how can you penalize me for anything? Right, exactly. And unfortunately it's like, I, that's that's kind of the sad thing is you know when you're dealing with with folks who are that foregone who are, are willing to just call you know all of their offenses and crimes you know expressions I, of their right I'm, it's kind of like man i hate to say it but i i think it's it's almost obvious that that getting struck upside the head with like how a objective reality actually is in spite of your kind of truth universe that there's this thing called the real universe that doesn't care what your truth is um I mean, that's part of what it, what it means to hand someone over to Satan for the d- destruction of their flesh. Um, surely not without prayer for better. Good. Oh, I said that's horrible. I mean, to hand them over, it's like, yeah, that's the point I'm at. It's like, when do I stop? Right. That's yeah. right. And you know what? Here's the thing. I, I, I just, even when we talk about the very worst consequences, um, you know, obviously in the scriptures, uh, Murder is something for which you, one could not offer a ransom price. It, it's almost it, 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 that passage there in, in Numbers implies that, um, you know, perhaps even, you know, many of the other capital crimes could, you know, have a, a, a ransom price be offered if, if the crime was confessed. But, but, but for murder, there, there could be none. And here's the thing, you guys. We know from the word of God that um, there are more and less severe degrees of eternal punishment people can experience. And this is kind of a mind-numbing thought. You know, Jesus is very clear. Talking I, like, to the, I like this. Because yeah. I've, I've actually thought about this a lot. The more and less, like, because I know there's, like, store up treasures in heaven, you know? Yes. Yeah. Or, or this. There's, there's different levels, I feel like, of each, you know? Yeah downside because it says for false teachers you know if you're leading the sheep astray and like there's a special place for you i feel like that's said in the bible like yeah judge more strenuously language like that not many of you supposed to be teachers for that reason and and you know, here's the thing what this means is and this is a numbing thought you know first of all um the death of sinners is the most gracious day of their life what it means is that they will not be able to sin more so as to incur for themselves an even greater penalty in eternity to come. You know, you go ahead, uh, Dallas. 
All right, so <clears throat> that basically they're already going to hell. Yeah, we're talking about the reprobate. Yeah, you've the best thing for you is that your sinning has stopped now. That's right. And like basically, what we should know as humans is that our sinning is continual, all the right. time. None of us are right. loving God with mm -hmm. all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, any yes. of the time. And that's I think right. that's the most important rule. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's most for, yeah. So like dying is the best thing for them because a lesser level of hell. That's yeah. Lesser, lesser level of, of torment. I mean, that is the picture that is uh, painted rather vividly by the Lord. Again, when he is ministering the towns around, around Galilee and he says, things will be worse for you on the day of judgment than Tyre and Sidon. I've heard and, that. So what I'm getting at, though, is, and, and, you know, so it's it's a bit of an upside down thought. You know, I think, you know, if, if you are in the position of being, say, an executioner and that's your job, you know, the fact is what you're doing is not merciless. It's not merciless at all. It's, it's neither merciless to the potential victims of that person, uh, nor is it merciless to the person himself, um, especially when you've been given a window of time and, and you know that uh, the end is near you've been given a window of time to repent. And if you're hardened in that time, you can look at your own death without any, any concern or fear in your eyes as to what lies ahead. Um, you put yourself in a position where not only are you a danger to everyone around you, where, but where the most gracious thing to be done for you would actually be for you to not carry on as such. And so, this is where it, when we talk about consequences and forgiveness, it, it, it's real. The same God who has, you know, definitive consequences in this life for sinners is the most forgiving being, the epitome of it. And in a certain respect, every sinner has been kept from the worst. You know, I mean, just to add to that thesis, you know, a perfect example of that is, you know, an antediluvian world. They apparently lived, you know, their ages are, are approaching a thousand years old in all those chapters before Genesis 6. And God, he says, listen, I've had it. I'm going to limit man's years to 120 years. It, it seems to be both a bit of a double entendre in that, you know, uh, there seem to be just about 120 years until the flood's going to come and everyone's going to be wiped out. But then also you look at human lifespans after that point. And, you know, almost no one lives to be much older than 120. And God does things with numbers and times and things yeah. that I don't understand, you know. <laughs> but the key is it's gracious for God to shorten the human lifespan. I mean, I just think about this, you know, think about someone who's powerful and wicked and how powerfully wicked they could be. You a thousand years. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I and so about myself and I'm like, if I would live a thousand years. And I wouldn't have Christ in my life and have an understanding of what it is that actually makes my life my life. How wicked could I become? That's right. I don't mm -hmm. even want to think about it because right. I have thought those wicked thoughts in my mind. And the fact that I don't have a thousand years to think about them is a blessing for God, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, these are pretty big macro ref reflections. I mean, I don't think most of us can quite swim in the waters all day long of, you know, eternal consequences and stuff when we, we think about um, forgiveness and, and penalty. But having that structure as a background is really important. 
because otherwise you lose this backbone that is, think about this. If I were to be maximally forgiving, not pursuing penalty or collecting on debts for anyone ever under any circumstances, then I would be the most heartless person imaginable to my neighbor. You know, if, if, you know, someone were violent in my home and I was just happy to, you know, that they left my door and I just let it be, I'm, I'm not doing my neighbor a favor. I'm, I'm actually, you know, so it's important to have this backbone that consequences are important. They're not antithetical to forgiving. Um, Because we're going to talk about radical instances of forgiveness because, you know, we are called to that in their Mm. proper time. But um, so all that said, then, you know, the question that I think arises, you have talked about the importance of forgiveness, that um, it's not antithetical to consequences. It's something that that we're supposed to extend to to everybody. I think where you get the wrench in the machine is in Luke 17, in passages like it, when you read in verses three and four, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That's a type of consequence. And if he rep- repents, forgive him. Here, forgiveness seems to be suspended on repentance. And I'm curious, you know, what you guys would make of that and, and how you would reconcile that with, you know, this sort of, you know, broadly forgiving stance, you know, intended for, you know, enemies and brothers alike. Nate, I'm going to go. All right. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking, like, it seems to be the case. How often do we, you know, or even just the culture we live in or any time probably is, I was always under this impression that Christians were a bunch of pacifists where we just keep forgiving no matter what, and there's never consequences. And you know what I mean? Like, where everything is just, we never... Uh, do anything you know we just take everything but we never do anything there's no consequences we'll just keep forgiving and I always thought about that you know coming out of like a drug alcoholic kind of culture so he's like well where's the line between forgiveness and like hey that's enough you know where's the consequences right Right. because I worked at a rehabilitation center for a little bit and I always wondered about that where's the line you know because it's like is it loving for me to just enable someone to hurt other people, enable someone to continue on destroying themselves, you know? And um, so that's like what comes to mind. It's like, are we just posted this? Is is that what Christianity is? Like, yeah, give them the coat, give them the, you know, turn the right cheek, turn the left cheek, keep beating me up and I'm never going to do anything, right? I, I think actually, that's like the mainstream approach to how Christians view forgiveness, right? Like, it's just like a constant, oh, I just forgive, 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 no matter what, you know? Mm-hmm. But I got the, I got this message, all right, from my pastor who talked about, I don't know everything, all right? I'm not very smart on this Christian stuff. I'm trying to figure it out. But it was this group of people that were ministering in Africa, and they're all about pacifism. They wouldn't have any guns with them, whatever, and they got totally killed and obliterated by a bunch of extremists. <clears throat> and, like, I'm going to need you guys to help me out with this one because there's a verse that says something about taking care of your family or protecting you for your family or you're worse than a sinner. Yeah, so in First, First Timothy 5, you know, it's about providing for your family or you're worse than an unbeliever. 
and surely provision, you know, there the, the focus is surely on, you know, uh, monetary provision, but, but, but it's absolutely tied up to, you know, the role of uh, a husband and a father to be a protector of the family. And it's, I mean, and this is why, you know, obviously it, this picture of, you know, just living in a world of a pure passive existence it's just not reconcilable with the whole scriptures where godly people are judges, godly people are kings, occupying civil rules. Uh, importantly, you know, when the, the, the um, Roman centurions came to uh, John the Baptist and said, what do we have to do to, to undergo this baptism? And he, he doesn't say you've got to, you know, quit your job and, and, and quit bearing the sword. He says, essentially, don't use the sword in vain and, you know, extort from people and all the things that you really could get away with in, in a role of power. Um, really, what you're de describing is kind of the, uh, the prevailing of um, an Anabaptist reading of the scriptures tends to absolutize, um, you know, passages like what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, all the passage, all the ethical writers I had to, to read in seminary, you know, I went to a more liberal seminary comparatively speaking, Fuller Theological Seminary. Mm -hmm. And you have John Howard Yoder, Stanley Hauerwas. It'd be all the people who advocate a fairly hard form of pacifism, which we'll, we'll get to, you know, the radical application. My um, only time. Um, oh. Ed oh, That's about all, man. Yeah, Ed. <laughs> I didn't go to other than that. I went to my one church. I uh, read the Bible a couple of times. And Ed Boyle, shout out. Love that guy. <laughs> There we go. Great, great. I love it. Well, you know what I'm going to get at with this passage is it's it's really clear in Luke 17 that we're talking about a, a case of church discipline, and when it's suspending forgiveness on repentance, in a case of church discipline, uh, this is just like what God required in in the civil sphere. In a case of church discipline, you can't allow a brother to either you know retain his status as a church member you name it if he just goes on sinning without repenting and so it's in that context where it says rebuke your brother and if he repents forgive him and this means forgive him in a very concrete way um you know in the most extreme instance you know after you've gone to a, a brother and you've confronted him about sin and he's, he's not hearing it you go with a few more that's really the parallel here in luke uh, 17 it's it's to matthew 18 in that process of church discipline. I was actually impressed to find after I had written this article, I was reading none other than Samuel Rutherford's uh, classic work, The Do Right of Presbyteries from 1644. And it's about 700 pages on <laughs> church government. And I was reading and, you know, he says something exactly along these lines. He talks about the difference between private forgiving and church forgiving. And, you know, church forgiving is that thing that is talked about in the passage that we're, we're looking at here. More or less, you know, what I had come to, we're talking about a definite consequence um, for, for a Christian brother, if he goes on sinning, to either be excommunicated, or if he repent. Man, there's this forgiveness that we extend to him that's more than a hopeful, positive image of who they might be. We're commanded to forgive one another with the most robust type of forgiveness knowing that when I look at Dallas, though he sinned against me, you know, 20 times doing the exact same thing, that that person is the object of God's eternal affection, that God never even began to love Dallas. Like there wasn't a beginning to that. 
I have to look at him with that sort of confidence that um, this is who he is. This is who he is absolutely going to be. Every time he repents is just more proof that he is exactly that person that um, is bound to be spotless. And that's about the highest, you know, type of subjective forgiveness you can give to a person to look at them and go, that person surely is, you might say, you know, a limb on the body of Christ. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of regard and the sort of, you know, appreciation and affection that, that, that we're called to have for the Lord. Um, surely we have to have that when we think about ourselves as members of one another and members of Christ. And so, yeah, there's a unique forgiveness that we have for Christians. It is, it's overwhelming. They're members of us and we of them. And that's the last thing you want to say when you're really angry at a person, despise them for behaviors. They don't, you know, they don't seem to be able to loose themselves from. They go, no, no, that person's a member of me. And I'm a member of them, like it says in, in Romans 12, uh, 4 and 5. <clears throat> what about Matthew 17 and 18? Luke 17, Matthew 18. Luke 17, Matthew 18. Yeah. Sorry, I had to look it up in my Bible. I was like, what is this? What is going on here? Yeah, that's right. Anytime, uh, anytime Pastor drops some verses on me, I'm like, I'm sorry, church. I don't know well enough. I don't know. I'm trying to learn it, but there's a lot of words in here to memorize with the chapters and the verses. Oh, yeah. It's something about 17, 18, and I didn't get it. Not a problem. I, I, I didn't get the connection. Yeah. So I was like, bring it back. Yeah. So they're both, you know, I would submit talking about situations of uh, various degrees of formal church discipline and that we don't extend forgiveness to uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and regard them as brothers and, and sisters in Christ continue to do so if they go on sinning flagrantly after I've confronted them as an individual then we've gone to them as, as brothers we know what the word says to do um, you know in the course of time to excommunicate and we can't forego that and say well I'm being forgiving that's why I'm going to allow all of these people to be in our church who are you know heretical in their doctrine you know aberrant in their behavior go ahead what do you got dallas i wanted you to still go but i wanted you to know i had a question yeah. all right so like i have a friend man and i'm trying i don't i don't know what to do like and i don't want to excommunicate because i have been i would say manipulated in a way that would say my friend says will you excommunicate me i'll go back to drugs you mm. ask you know, I'll kill myself. You'll find me in a, in a noose. And it's like, what do I, dude, I don't, I, and, and I know, honestly, now it's not on me. It's mm -hmm. not on, like, it's no. not, on, but like, he is so far gone. I'm like, I know, I, it's heartbreaking to not have anything to do, you know, because like, yes, elect people, God chose them. Is my friend elect? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it means anything. I just learned about elect a little while ago. But like, but you have to have ears to hear and you have to have eyes to see. And it, a miracle can happen in front of you and you will not even know right. if you don't have eyes to see it. And like, so my, my friend at this point, it's like, 
yes, I forgive you. You know, that's the least of my worries at this point. Right. Yeah, Dallas, I'd say you're in the position of a parent who, uh, you know, has a kid with, you know, drug addiction and they make the same threats like that, you know, you can't do this at, at ha- the house. And then they'll say, yeah, so, you know, well, you know, I'll, I'll be out on the street and, you know, from there, then I'll do this, this and this and this and this. And, you know, then the, the parent has this, you know, interest in creating this buffer that um, I want them to live. No, like I had some of my right. buffer. That's right. But what it's doing, though, is is it's it's taking this place that's supposed to be a harbor. And, and this is a, a scary thought. You're actually allowing him, supposing he's doing something that's actually excommunicable, you're allowing him to perpetuate this picture of the church that it's really not a harbor. It's really not this holy place. It's actually this place where I've been enabled to be, you know, an enemy of God and, and you know, a destructive person myself and my neighbor. And um, if you think about it this way, like, one of the most dangerous things that people can have is uh, no positive memories, uh, no people who they think of as safe, no places that they think of as, you know, safe and undisturbed places. Um, this is, you know, at the heart, you know, of what's often going on with people who, you know, have experienced trauma that in everything in their world or every relationship in their world, they don't have a happy place. Well, the church is the happy place, man. And when we allow that to actually be an extremely compromised place, um, we're actually stealing from him this ability to go once he is excommunicated. Man, there's there's a city on a hill that's mm-hmm. better. It's brighter. It's 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 holier. And um, you know, th- there is no contrast for him, you know. And I, I know psychologically it's like you're thinking, well, no, this, this is a safe place because I'm, 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 I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to hang on to him and trying to keep him here. But in fact, what's going on is he's sullying something that is, uh, he's stealing something from himself by allowing the church to be so trampled on. And, you know, it's similar when, you know, people make it a habit to, you know, go to small groups and stuff and then perpetuate you know their pornography addictions and these things like that and they're doing living this double life together they're actually tainting the church with their own sin and making it honestly a less transcendent place than it ought to be when they live this double life and just weave the one in with the other so yeah yeah my double life or darn it oh. <laughs> i'm like oh parents are starting a small group oh i'm addicted to pornography in ways oh not as bad as i was but like that was a huge thing for me you know like pornography. i was in the age group of when it blew up you know like it used to be like a magazine now it's your phone all the time everywhere everywhere you are everything you are like and like me as a small child, I had strange things happen to me that made me, I mean, maybe hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. And it's like, for those kind of things, man, like my brain, I, I just don't, I, everyone in the world I want to save basically is how my brain feels. It's like, and my friend who's doing this and other people that's doing that. It's like, I don't know how, I'm just trying to be Christian for myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I hear from Christianity that take the word out, 
go tell to people yeah you this is your job as a christian is to tell at least why you have joy at least why you are more happy than the people around you why life isn't so it's not killing you and like i'm doing all right that but but i feel i know i mean my life is i'm a horrible christian well see but that's the thing though you know living a life as a horrible Christian, I mean, we're all horrible Christians. The, the distinction is not that anyone of us have no sin. I mean, that's right out of 1 John chapter 1. Whoever says he has no sin is, you know, a liar, and the truth is not in him. But what we do do is we come to confess our sins. And when we come to confess our sins, and we come asking for repentance, if we've sinned against a neighbor, especially, and we're always asking the Lord for repentance. And I would submit this is an important part to have of our, you know, church's regular worship that we have, you know, a, a, a prayer of confession of sin. And, and, you know, we're bringing that there. That's what we're called to. But if you've got a friend who says, listen, I'm not coming to confess and repent of my sins. I'll confess and admit my sins. It's not the same as confession. And I just yeah. don't want you to do anything about it. Uh, That's the sort of thing that Jesus says we can't forgive with. Yeah. Yeah. how is that like like okay i don't want to sin mm-hmm. i'm saying i don't want to sin and i would rather my life be completely aligned with god i wish it would be that way yeah the the soul is willing or the spirit is willing but the body's weak yeah. like and my body is weak mm-hmm. like as much as i want i wish this could be it half the time i don't feel like i'm repentant you know mm-hmm. I'm like, please, Lord, make me more upset by this. Like, why am I not upset by the fact I'm sinning, you know? And I think the key for, for you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is that, you know, I think part of the key is uh, being willing to take more radical steps to be set free from, from different things. I mean, if we're talking about a person with, uh, you know, self-destructive drug addiction, like, yeah, man, you've got to go get treatment now. We I know it's like, I'm going to lose my job or I'll lose this. It's like, yeah, well, it's like, you're going to cut that off. I mean, that's what Jesus says. If your hand causes you to sin, you're going to start, you're going to start losing pieces left and right and you name it. And, and I think that's kind of how we, when we talk about repenting, um, to not turn that into a strictly subjective thing that it's just like, well, by repenting, I mean, I said it out loud. I've actually grown a accustomed to doing that i'm more and, of a feel, you know like it's hard for me because i'm like if i don't feel it yeah if right. because yeah every time i do something wrong i'm like yeah sure i i'm i know this is wrong mm-hmm. because i read the bible a bunch of times i know hey it's wrong but like mm-hmm. but god make me feel like it's wrong you know mm-hmm. i've my life so long in a way of like i didn't care i'm not mm-hmm. repentant I don't care about this. It's not really that bad. Is it really that bad? I didn't kill anybody. Yeah. You know, like make me feel like this sin is as serious as it is. Like that's you been my, just, oh, like. Dallas, you've just made the argument for why it's going to be important with this friend. If they're really carrying on in excommunicable sin, why it's important that they're excommunicated. You just, talked about your own longing and sense of need that like if i'm really going to you know have victory over sinful habits i need to know and feel the consequence i need to feel like it's sinful consequences are one of the things that 
remind you of that. Um, mm. that, that, that. That's exactly why those things are so important. And I, I do think this is an ideal place, therefore, you know, and obviously self-imposed consequences are very impo- important, you know, where we put ourselves, what privileges we do or do not deny ourselves so that we don't fall. But this, this actually is an excellent point of segue to the question of, um, you know, do we have to accept everybody's verbal repentance as that and extend them the forgiveness that's, you know, becoming of a, a Christian brother? And you know what? This is a really important one. Yeah. This Sorry. Is yeah, no Hard. problem. Yeah. It's super important because the world hates you no matter what you do on this topic. And, and this is why you can't take your guidance from the world. They will hate you. Yeah. I read that I will too. Yeah. That's right. Because you look at it this way, you'll get you'll get shots fired both ways. People will say the church is a harbor for, you know, uh, creeps because we have a view of forgiveness that, um, you know, we believe, for example, this, you know, pedophiles can be saved. You know, the world has a lot of trouble with that idea. You know, they're, they very much function with the Roman Catholic mortal and venial sin sort of a thing which is funny with they function with the roman catholic but the roman catholic is like top of the line for that kind of thing it's a curious thing it's a curious thing curious but then on the other hand if we are not forgiving of you know sinful behaviors and honestly you take anything else on the gamut of you know what we as christians know to be sexual sin if you know if if we're not tolerant of that in the church and therefore fundamentally forgiving of it then the church has not really lived up to Jesus's ideal of forgiveness. So, so you're, you're damned if you're doing, if you do, and you're damned if you don't. So we have to go searching for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we have like... to... All right. So funny. whenever I'm talking and you're talking Dallas, I get, I lose yeah. like 10 I... seconds of what you were going to say. Yeah. I'm trying to piece it together by lip reading. Yeah, it like skips out or something a little bit. Only when you start talking, though. <laughs> hey, stop talking. I'm trying to talk right now. Brand Wasserman, that's... All right. Can you, hey, Brand? Be quiet. It's a joint, joint discussion. <laughs> but the first thing I'm going to throw out there is no, contrary to popular belief, we, we really don't have to. Um, and we, we not only do we not have to, we absolutely cannot simply accept any verbal showing of forgiveness as genuine especially when the consequences are great. It's, it's married to the idea that Jesus never taught us to not be judgmental in the, in the basic sense of making a thorough and righteous inquiry into things. What Jesus condemns is being uh, uh, forgiving in a hypocritical way where you apply a different standard to others than you do for yourself. And we've got to stand by that forever. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew 7 with, you know, do not judge unless he be judged sorts of language. But Jesus tells us, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment in John 7, 24. And how do you you judge with a righteous judgment? Yeah. Well, and and so the answer is by making a thorough inquiry, not, you know, limiting yourself to the surface of something, but, but, you know, making a thorough reconnaissance. You think like, for example, (laughs) You take in something like, you know, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. You're like, you could just hear an accusation that Johnny Depp beat me. And I guess on the surface of it, it's like, well, he does drink a lot of alcohol. And like, are you an Amber Heard guy? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was rooting for her the whole time. Um, (laughs) I'm ashamed that I even know this stuff. I didn't even make any effort to know about that trial and somehow I know about it. 
Um, versus making a thorough reconnaissance. It's not unlike Proverbs uh, 18, 17, is it? Where it says, you know, you hear one man's side of the story and it sounds right. <laughs> well, that's usually what happens. That's not a righteous judgment. That's a very one-sided surface level judgment. And so we talk about making righteous judgment it means all sorts of things when it comes to the matter of repentance. You know, uh, if a guy comes in, you know, and he has committed, you know, a terrible crime of abuse against young people and says, oh, I repent. Now I want full access to, you know, being a kid's ministry leader. It's like, that's counselor. Here I am. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's obviously, you know, I, hopefully any fool can see the problem there, but frankly, yeah, a righteous inquiry and judgment as to whether or someone's repentance is genuine. Um, yeah, they're going to readily accept having lost maybe a vast number of privileges to be called a brother or sister in Christ and to be extended that fullest sort of Christian forgiveness that we have for one another. They're going to accept you asking them, maybe flat out cross-examining them about their practices daily, what access they have to, you know, things that might cause them st to stumble again, you know, in these extreme instances. Those things are perfectly appropriate. And not only that, but we have the example of um, John the Baptist himself. It says that when the Pharisees and Sadducees came out to the wilderness of the Jordan to be baptized, he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Produce fruits in keeping up. There's some vipers there, right? That's right. Yeah. And that's, that's them exercising, you know, one of God's prophets exercising scrutiny when someone is about to engage in a gesture of repentance, which is what his baptism was. And so I'm just saying that, that there's a rather significant, you know, list of things that one could engage in to, um, you know, really probe whether or not uh, repentance is genuine. Um, you know, in some cases, it's perfectly appropriate for someone to receive a public rebuke if they've had a public crime. You know, we've excommunicated people at our church. They wouldn't be able to return without some sort of public repentance because everybody, it would be scandalous for them oh. to just come to the Lord's table without making that amends, it, having sinned against so many people in the church in overt ways. Go ahead, Dallas. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I have a lot of trouble with that in myself. Mm -hmm. Like, because I'm trying to get my life right. And I really honestly... The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I have a lot of trouble with that because I know in myself, there's a lot of things I'm, I feel like I'm not repentant for. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I am sorry I did that. Like, I do not want to do that again. I want to, I want to turn my life from this, but like, and then it happened again. Mm -hmm. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. Like, right. mm -hmm. and my repentance real, yeah. how, like I because I want to like I, I seriously don't want to be this way right and like but then my repentance feels like I'm smacking God in the face yeah. it feels like I don't care and I'm like oh yeah I'm repentant and I don't want to yeah. be that like, well and the key Dallas is this I mean clearly it can be the case that that one continually lapses in some, you know lapses again and again and again Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said, you know, forgive your brother 70 times seven. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a coherent reference. That, you know, and the fact is, is that we all have certain ditches. But here's the question. The question is, how consequential is the sin 
And that's going to have a, you know, it's going to have bearing on what needs to occur um, for uh, repentance to be serious in light of the, the, the pains that it can inflict on others. A man, for example, who has, you know, uh, again, we talk about that extreme example of, you know, an abusive, let's just say a man who's physically abusive of his own kids. <laughs> you know, listen, you can repent and have, in, you know, have fallen, you know, more than once, but fairly quickly, there's going to come a point where it's like, look, bro, you can't be around your kids for an extended period of time. And you're going to have to take classes on anger management. And yeah, when you get back, if this happens again, it's going to have to be an even longer time because the nature of that sin is so damaging to yourself and to your home. Um, genuine repentance in that instance is going to mean accepting those sorts of consequences. Now, when we're talking about things that are frankly, especially lapses of, of the heart, lapses, you know, the Westminster always, you know, talks about, you know, sinning in, in heart, word, and mm -hmm. deed. And, um, you know, it's not to say that what happens in your heart isn't a problem. That's the beginning of it all. But how things are disciplined and what sorts of provisions need to be made to reflect a genuine repentance, it's going gonna, it's gonna to differ as to whether it's, it's a lapse of the heart, a lapse of speech, or a lapse of deeds. That's at least one sort of gradation that you should mention. But I would also encourage you, Dallas, to not allow your heart to be the thing that defines whether or not your repentance was real. Sometimes doing the very opposite of what your heart really wants to do in a moment is itself, you know, one of the boldest expressions of repentance. Going, I know my heart right now doesn't, I, I feel apathetic, but I'm going to do proactively contrary to the apathy of my heart. Mm -hmm. um, that's super important to, to appreciate the genuineness of the, 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 the resolve to contradict your heart. It's actually uh, Proverbs 16.32, which I, I love this one. I, you know, I think, you know, as I do pastoral counseling, it's, I don't know how many people I've told to write this one on their, you know, refrigerator and stuff. On? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good this one, man. This is Grant's one, Nate. This is oh, dude, I, I do love this one, yes. Uh, it was, but it says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. It's this ruling of your spirit that is actually, you know, a profound discipline that's essential to repentance in spite of where your heart's at, in spite of what your feelings like, are. Profound discipline is something no one has anymore. Oh, yeah. Discipline as a like whole and especially a profound discipline sounds mm -hmm. like that is so gone from our culture right now. Yeah. Like anyone I meet, anyone I see their kids, I'm like, discipline? Is that a mm -hmm. thing that happens yeah. nowadays? I don't think it is. Doing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Profound discipline, man. That sounds like that sounds <laughs> like my dad punched me four times and I am ready to learn. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. um so he was sweet when he punched me. My dad's a loving guy. <laughs> but it, it reminds me too of the fact that um and even like, you know, Dallas is talking about like, I don't feel repentant or I don't. Um, I try. I try. I, I, uh, I'm apathetic or, I, you know, I know it's wrong, but I don't heap the consequences of it or necessarily feel bad for it. But like, you know, I've 
I don't know who taught me this, or maybe someone said it at some point that kind of resonated with me was like, you know, the fact that you, you feel bad about the fact that you don't feel bad about your sin is evidence that God's spirit is at work in you because you wouldn't feel bad at all for not feeling bad if God's spirit wasn't at work in you. Because I know when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, I, I never, you know, thought about feeling bad or feeling bad because I wasn't feeling bad, you know, right. because I loved my sin and I loved, I loved everything about it. And I would, really? anyone that got in the way of that was a problem, you know? Right. Yeah, Nate. I mean, right now I feel apathetic about the WNBA and I don't feel gross <laughs> about that or bothered by that or no part of me. Brittany? Is that Brittany? no part of me (laughs) i know you're talking about no no part of me has the slightest degree of conviction about that whereas i know what it feels like to be apathetic to pray and it makes Mm -hmm. me feel gross to feel apathetic to pray um and and so it's, it's not as if you know a christian's affections are ever you know completely absent uh you know such that you can say with paul you know i'm doing what i don't want to do um so I wouldn't want to convey that, that, you know, feelings are nothing, but mm. yes, there's an absolute, uh, there's an undeniable aspect of the Christian life that, that part of our sanctification does mean mastering our spirit and our feelings and our internal, you know, dispositions, it, it literally contradicting them. It's part of the whole concept of mortifying the flesh mm. and putting it to death. And, you know, when, when you see those apathetic pieces of yourself, but you know what? That said, I do want to get onto that point, though. So, so we, you know, we can exercise scrutiny when it comes to repentance and extending, you know, this highest Christian forgiveness to our brothers and sisters. Um, but I, I do want to touch on the point that, you know, I wouldn't want to deny that what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is, is actually calling us to, with rather extreme examples, a radical sort of forgiveness that, in the nature of the case, we will only ever probably give one time or at the very most, a very limited number of times. And this, this requires a a perspective on the Sermon on the Mount and, you know, really in many respects, a response to some of the more radical readings of it, even Richard B. Hayes, you know, a a fairly recent um, writer in Christian ethics, I think gives too much to kind of this, this Anabaptist perspective. We Mm. read these directives in, in, uh, Matthew 5, you know, everything from turn the other cheek when someone is, you know, going to hit you to, you know, give, give, give a person your cloak if they're trying to take your shirt to if, if someone forces you to walk a mile to go another mile with them. I mean, these are, these are just, in some of these cases, they're somewhat almost absurd, you know, how is someone forcing you to walk a mile and then you're going to walk another mile beyond that. And I'm going to tell you two things. First, Jesus is very clearly not telling us or anyone for that matter to do these things always in every instance and without critical evaluation. The reason why we know that is because Jesus, of course, is the supreme embodiment of his own ethic. And Jesus doesn't do that. Mm. Um, you know, throughout his lifetime. Now, there's going to be a, a, a time when he does, and it's going to be at the end of his life. And, um, but before I, I get to expounding that, you know, you look throughout Jesus's ministry, 
He doesn't give to everyone who asks, like it says in, in Matthew chapter five, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. He frequently denies people's requests. And most notably, I mean, first of all, he's, he has this miraculous ability to multiply things and get money when he needs it, you name it. And when the Pharisees want to see a miracle, he says, no, you're not going to get one beyond the miracle of Jonah, which is really more of a curse. You know, Jonah was sent to Israel to prophesy until they didn't listen. And God's like, fine, go to the Gentiles. And that's really the miracle they're going to see, Jesus and his disciples leaving Israel and going to the Gentiles. He doesn't do that. By the same right, um, you know, when you look throughout his, his, his ministry, um, you know, Jesus also denies things like answers to difficult questions. He doesn't just give totally and indiscriminately. This has to tell us something. Moreover, Jesus also does not always forego resisting those who are evil. We were told very many times throughout the Gospels that Jesus somehow eludes the grasp of mobs who were either angry at him. It, we read in his own hometown when he preached a sermon, everybody got angry, and it just says, says Jesus eluded their grasp. I don't know what he did there. And did it, you know, was there something, a miraculous feature to this? We don't know. But it's surely not an absolute code of non resistance. And I could go on with these sorts of examples about how Jesus doesn't do this in every instance. I think what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples and you and me is that at the extreme and at the edges of the advance of my kingdom, and at some point perhaps in your own life, you will come to a position where uh, resistance is futile. It will be obvious. And you will be in a position where you have to forgive and exercise this capacity to hope and pray the best for your enemies as Jesus does on the cross himself. Uh, Father, forgive them for they, they know not what they do. Every one of us should have it in our mind that God's providence could take us to those extreme places of martyrdom in his kingdom and be prepared to be a witness for him, not just confessing him as Lord, but prepared even in death, to manifest a graciousness that is otherworldly. And so I would submit that what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount in this particular portion is um, uh, Jesus telling us um, the sorts of things that he tells us when he says things like, you've got to be ready to lose your soul. You've got to be ready to lose the world. My kingdom's like a pearl that, you know, or a treasure that Someone gave up everything to have, and they did so willingly and gladly. Um, that's what we're called to. And that's what Jesus manifests. He goes to the cross, and there, what do we see? People do rip the very clothes off of his body. People do, you know, obviously strike him. All of the things mentioned in this passage, and he still yet has a prayer of forgiveness for them. And of course, Stephen you know, exercises the same in his martyrdom uh, as the first Christian martyr. So, you know, I think that's an important, um, you know, balance to have. You know, we've talked a lot about how forgiveness is compatible with consequences, but these most radical things that Jesus says are things that some of the most wonderful Christians have done in the history of the world. And I'm thinking about everyone from, you know, uh, martyrs like, you know, Jan Hus, um, the pre-reformer about 100 years before Luther, or 
you know, even the way that um, Thomas Cranmer, um, you know, the reformer who kind of lied at the heart of the creation of the Church of England or the Anglican Church, you know, these men went to their death in these valiant and incredible ways that um, really identified them with the Lord who, who died for others and, 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 and with a view to their well-being. Mm. Yeah, Brand, that's so helpful thinking about the implications of how to kind of view the Sermon on the Mount in light of all of Jesus' teaching. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, in my experience, I've always found those to kind of be the the standard, like a canon within a canon on how to understand everything else. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And yeah. and as, this is really helpful because I've always, you know, I've always thought about that. I'm sure lots of our listeners too have thought about that. Like, how do you apply this idea that almost seems like this not really wise thing where you're mm-hmm. just kind of allowing people to walk all over you with no consequences, no kind of things dealing with it, you know? Um, and I, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. And then a second point too, like realizing that, that Jesus actually really walked that out in his, you know, his death and then leading to his resurrection ascension, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, he actually did literally get the, you know, his clothes stripped off of him. Right. And I believe they like gambled for his, was it his robe, right? Or pieces of it. That's right. Yeah. Which harkens back to what Psalms 22. Maybe yeah. I have that wrong. Maybe I'm right. But, um, but it, it's just an incredible thing to how Christ is able to look past what's going on and realize, you know, these people don't really know what they're doing, they don't understand the weight weightiness of what they're doing but god forgive them and that's what he calls us to right this idea of god you know forgive them they don't know what they're really doing you know and that's i like how you put uh, i like even even how you put it you know looking past i mean that that really is is true to to the to the greek word that's being used for forgiveness and leaving behind and letting go um you know a, a big part and then you even think about that whole concept of, you know, subjective forgiveness being about, you know, being able to hope better than what you see right in front of you mm-hmm. and being able to um, even to hope better for the people who are the very ones that you're the, the least inclined to forgive, given their present hostilities. And the forgiveness is powerful. I mean, it's obviously most of all evident in the fact that, you know, among the people who facilitated that crucifixion was a Roman guard who by the end of that day was confessing Christ as the son of God, mm-hmm. or that there were thieves on the cross who were mocking him. And before the end of the day, one of them was obviously going to be with Christ in paradise. So uh, no doubt about it. Um, it, it it's, it's important both to see Christ as actually embodying this, the extremes that we have spoken of here, even as you'd say in day-to-day life, there is a, a much more um, tempered sort of expression of these things. Um, yeah, yeah. When, when someone forces you to this place, when you come to the extreme, you know, then all you can do is, is rest on God's grace that you yourself can be gracious and forgiving. Mm. Yeah. 
And I think too, Brant, it's like almost sometimes, you know, when I, I believe when I first, when the, uh, when the Lord saved me in the beginning, it almost seemed as if we kind of have to like get ourselves in position of like martyrdom, right? Or we have to put ourselves in a situation where like we get persecuted to feel genuinely Christian mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, like you, you look for the extreme to happen to you so you can go, ah, oh, see, I'm the real deal. Right. Definitely. And it's like, well, you know, you don't have to do the extreme if unnecessary. Right. You know, and um, I think it's helpful to realize that, yes, those things happen to Christ. And yes, those things can happen to us, but we shouldn't like seek it out. We shouldn't seek out this radical, um, you know, rat- David Platt radical right? or, <laughs> right. or stuff like that. But like, I think it's helpful to realize like it's not sinful to not be persecuted in the same kind of ways that the apostles in Christ were. But if it happens, you know, God and his kind providence sees it as a good thing for us, right? That's right. Yeah. And he has much in the way of directives for us. And, you know, here's the thing. It's almost as if uh, even seeking that thing out is something false if you're not able to embrace these mundane challenges Mm. to be forgiving and uh and to be gracious and to hope and to wish the best um you know for for a brother or a neighbor for whom you you feel inclined to the very opposite it's like put it in that mundane setting first do it there first don't look for something extravagant first uh, because then then it is it's just like we've talked about all of these upside down heart gestures where you know <laughs> You're doing external acts of forgiveness, really not because you love forgiveness or from the heart, but because you love the rapport that it wins for you. Um, I'm just thinking recently, there was a young man who I was sharing the gospel with. Um, the cafe house that I, I, I virtually, I've been going there for 10 years. And so I will share the gospel impromptu on a regular basis. And honestly, I don't I don't really beat around the bush. Uh, actually, I actually don't like it when... I don't know when someone like starts talking to me about the weather, but they really want to sell me, you know, like I prefer the straight on approach. So I, I, I said to this young man, um, I, I just said, Hey, have you ever heard the gospel before? And um, his initial response was just, he was so put off by it. And so just, you know, and, and I'm used to this, but, you know, he basically with a very kind of snide disposition, you know, was, telling me how he didn't like, um, you know, organized religion and how he used to be, you know, uh, used to be a Mormon. And, and now, you know, he's an occultist, actually. And, um, you know, my inclination in that moment, it's just like anyone's. It's like, first off, like, there's an inclination to want to extend offense that you're so offended that someone like asked you a question. Um and, 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 and so I'm finding myself in this, in this conversation having to exercise forgiveness to just, you know, maintain a disposition and a demeanor that is forgiving amidst all of it. Ended up blossoming into a huge, you know, conversation, but, you know, throughout, you know, it was just so passive aggressive on his part um, <laughs> that I found myself having to do this the entire time where, you know, 
he was constantly, you know, accusing me of being aggressive, you know, for even asking him if he knew the gospel. And it's like, man, just had to take it, you know, where and be like, have you ever thought that maybe like the degree to which you're reacting to just hearing such a question, you know, that's at all aggressive, you know, but, but those are the more likely sorts of scenarios in our life where we're going to have to find ourselves um, exercising a very um, unextravagant, you know, annoying sort of forgiveness. And, and at the same time, looking and thinking, man, it could be the case that on the last day, the Lord says, hey, you extended me friendship, you extended me kindness. And we say, when did we do that? And it's like, well, it was the occultist at the cafe house. That's when you extended it to me. And I think that's a perspective. I think if you, if you need a perspective to help you to, to, to have a forgiving disposition, it is that telling in Matthew 25 of, of what Jesus is going to do on the last day with the sheep and the goats. Um, that'll help you to be forgiveness. Consider that the person you're talking to is destined to be that member of, of the body of Christ that he didn't know he was there. Right. Yeah. And it also helps you deal with like, you know, we talked about, I forget what the proverb was, but about overlooking a transgression, right? Overlooking in that moment for you specifically, it's, it's not holding that against him, his passive aggressiveness, right? It's overlooking that in order to and still engage him despite his negativity or despite his aggressiveness. Totally. And that's forgiving. That's not holding sin against them. And what's a, what's a, always the most simple thing is a complex thing, but like we forgive because we've been forgiven, right? It's, it's this God's overlooked our sin by Christ's perfect life and his death on our behalf. Even while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? And who are we to hold others people's sins against us right and 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 thinking that we we have the right to hold sin against someone when god's been so gracious to us right and and it's it's always interesting that our union with christ you know i think of romans 12 right and it talks about you know do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind you know and finding what discerning what god's perfect and good will is or, or you think even just Romans 8, right? It says we're being made after him, like to conform to be his image. I mean, that's the, our purpose in life is to be like Christ in every way. And it's that's such it. a simple concept, but it's such, such a profound thing that we'll never master, you know, on the side of, uh, of uh, you know, the already not yet tension, you could say, right? And but, you know, then First John, I know you've been preaching through that, or I think you might have finished, I'm not sure, but it says, you know, we will, you know, be, you know, we will see him and be like him, right? And we long for that day. But in the present, we're trying to practice that out. You know, we're trying to be like him. That's right. You know, in that experience, I think that experience of, um, you know, laboring to follow Christ and in these, these things that I think we've read a million times, you know, how many people don't know the Lord's prayer? I mean, the Lord's prayer is something that, you know, you, uh, you, you, you might even have it memorized. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, but, but you'll find it everywhere and you go, 
we're always talking about this thing. And I think as we are self-examining, you know, our, our lives and our best efforts to, to follow the Lord, it actually affects our reading of scripture. It shapes our reading of scripture when we're actually trying to walk this path after him. And then we read about the Christ, our righteousness, fulfilling all righteousness, walking this path without deviation. Um, you really can't even appreciate just, just what an incredible story this is. It's, it, it, unless you, you've spent some time attempting to be forgiving. And I appreciate all of Dallas's comments, which are true to all of us to the effect that, yeah, we don't feel like it. We're apathetic, you know, after we're done, you know, it's, it's, it's all we can do to, you know, take it seriously enough to repent and, and to confess it. And so, so with that, that said, I think um, it's a very powerful angle on reading the gospels uh, mm -hmm. to live a life where you're attempting to exercise these things and you're confronted with the one who does not only does uh, in general or toward the people that you read about in the first century he encountered, but toward you. Um, now you're in that parable in Matthew 18 as the servant of a master who in turn has other debtors. And, you know, what are we doing with those people? Mm. Yeah, so good. You know, I think, uh, you know, people always joke about like the, the shortest verse in the Bible when it says Jesus wept, right? And that story, you know, I've I've always been moved by that um, so much because, you know, Christ comes to that situation. I believe it's Lazarus, correct? Um, before he um, raises, yeah, yeah, him. Of course, yes, yeah. exactly. It's and he right, comes, yeah. And it's incredible because he comes to that situation, and he's he's grieved over sin and what sin does, death, you know. Mm -hmm. And he he weeps about it, right? He grieves about the situation of sin and death, all the while knowing that he knows he's going to fix it, you know, mm -hmm. or he knows he's going to heal and re redeem that situation. He still weeps. And I was always like, you know, that's, that's you know, in a way, we meditate on that and reflect on that, and we go, um, yeah. I should grieve over the sin of my neighbor. I should grieve over the sin I see in this world, but all the while knowing that God will restore and redeem his world. Even though we grieve now, you know, there's a real sense in which we still, you know, go out there and and put in the work and and put in the kingdom work of of seeing that fruit of his kingdom coming to fruition in our lives personally and those around us, you know? So I, I just always thought that was such a, uh, a deep and profound moment in Christ's ministry. You know, he weeps all the while knowing he's going to fix the situation, you know, mm -hmm. and what that calls us to specifically with forgiveness, right. Um, yeah. To be broken over it all the while That's knowing true. that we are going to forgive the people that sinned against us or, you know, mm -hmm. so. yes. Yeah, Nate, those are good insights. At the same time, I'm, I'm going to pass on this. I don't know if you've ever heard this idea that in John 11, it's a bit tangential, but have you ever heard the idea that, um, that Jesus wept because he was going to actually raise Lazarus from the dead? Um, 
you know, Lazarus was uh, apparently, you know, I mean, being his follower, he, he, he was going to be in the better place. Um, but his weeping, you know, that, that he was going to actually show up and, and to demonstrate the kingdom for people, um, you know, bring this person back to life. I actually think this ties in very well to our whole conversation about how consequences are actually, the thing that's worth weeping about is not extending consequences. You know, the consequences are actually the things that heal, frankly, even, even the worst of consequences that we're going to experience um, of course, means, you know, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And I think in a way that that as well helps us when we think about these extreme applications of forgiveness. Um, you know, when you when you think about, you know, Jesus going to the cross, you know, or, or us bearing, you know, the weight of actually people despising us in this life and not having a means to even pursue recompense and what are we going to do, but graciously forgive part of it is that perspective that this is a light and momentary affliction um that pales in comparison to an eternal weight of glory and um you know so so either way it's red it has much to much bearing you might say on on what we've been talking about amen yeah yeah man well this has been good we've we've hit two and a half hours and I don't know if we, if you had any concluding remarks or conclusion, I think we worked through most of it, correct? Yeah, it works pretty yeah. hard to keep us on track. Yeah, yeah. it can be tough sometimes. <laughs> but um, no, but yeah, this has been great, Brandon. We don't want to keep you any longer. I'm not sure what happened to Dallas, but um, maybe still listening. But um, he's repenting, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's getting it together yeah. yeah but um i appreciate you so much man and i don't know if you had anything else you wanted to share before we we shut down the recording but um it's been a great time much reflection i hope our listeners really enjoy this more importantly i mean just for i mean even how encouraging these things are for dallas is um just always a blessing to you know it it brings back those days where um when the Lord first saved me and just have all these questions, you're trying to process and think through all this stuff. And thank you so much for just being, you know, because I know there's going to be listeners that are in the same boat as Dallas, right. Or the same yeah. boat as people that are coming into faith and they're just trying to figure all this out. And I think, you know, you did a phenomenal job of trying to help not only Dallas, but our listeners who may be new to the faith, how to walk in these things, how to work out these things. Um, I've had lots of compliments of people saying, man, I love that you have Dallas on there because sometimes he's kind of like me talking to your guests or, you know, and they feel like, you know, it really connects them with, you know, the people that we have on. So I appreciate you for doing that. That's perfect, man. Well, I wholeheartedly agree. I think, uh, yeah, I think I think this is a good place to to call it. And um, guys, thank you for having me. I It's a blessing for me to just, show up to stuff like this and not have to do anything in, in you know, to put it together and, uh, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, bear fruit with, uh, you know, the whole article on forgiveness and, um, man, thank you. Keep it up. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, the listeners, just so you know, I will definitely add a link to not only his article, but also his sermon. Um, I'm assuming it's all tied in. Right. Um, okay. but if you guys want to have, work through that, re-listen to the podcast, go check out his sermon, check out his article, read that. 
I know sometimes reading for me is personally helpful for me to remember and kind of reflect on things better. But whatever the case, this is what Christ has called us to do to, you know, all things forgiveness. And uh, we all need to be doing that. And I think this is really helpful, 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 practical, you know, message we have to be thinking about. Because, you know, a lot of stuff we do is apologetics, you know, Van Til stuff. And sometimes things can get pretty abstract, right? But sometimes it's great to just come back and bring things back to how do we live? How do we do things, right? And that's, mm -hmm. that isn't, you know, a dichotomy between knowledge, right? And abstract stuff, the two should be together. So I think it's all great. Thanks. But yeah, thank you for coming. And we'll definitely have to have you again, um, have you on maybe in a year or whatever the case, but we, you know, we'll keep this going, Lord willing. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, if you don't mind, I'll just say a prayer for you guys and yeah. pray for anyone listening, okay? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Holy God, I thank you so much for Nate and Dallas. Lord, I thank you that we live in this time where um, we can be discussing your word and your truth um, from such great distances from one another. Lord, I think the apostles would have just uh, marveled at what we're able mm -hmm. to do together now uh, with the bond of your Holy Spirit strong between us and um, Lord as well, between those who are listening and growing and learning. Lord, I just pray for your people that we would be a forgiving people. God, I'm so thankful that in the context of an apologetics uh, podcast, we could be talking about this because um, it's absolutely necessary to our witness and uh, to the demeanor that we have in, in talking with those who are lost, some of whom are your elect, um, that we come, come to them with a forgiving disposition as you have done with us. Lord, please help us in this regard. Please forgive us, we pray, as we forgive our debtors. Lord, please forgive, uh, forgive me. And, um, you know, as a minister of others, Lord, forgive me, my debts. And may we continue to be people who forgive our debtors. Lord, that you be glorified and that you be honored, that you be praised. Uh, and so that when we walk into your presence on the great day, we can have a deeper sense of what you've done for us because we've struggled and labored at the small gestures of forgiveness that we've been called to in your providence. Lord, we ask these things for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for that, Brand. And um, yeah, so let me say, this has been Rooted in Revelation podcast, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation. And uh, until next time, hopefully we'll get Brant back on. So stay tuned and God bless.